0: I'm Sharon Batters, and I am so glad you have joined us for this Help & Hope podcast because we have quite a story to share with you today. You know, uh, ever since time began, there has been betrayal in relationships, and perhaps the worst of betrayals is when a spouse commits adultery and really breaks all of the promises that have been made from the beginning of their marriage. So today we have our guest, Stephanie Borsma, who is going to be telling us about what happened when she discovered that her husband uh, was committing adultery and what her journey was like. And I want you to stay tuned. I want you to listen carefully to this conversation. It may not be for you. It may be for a friend of yours, a sister, a granddaughter, someone at work, but the Lord is going to plant this conversation in your heart and it's gonna be there for the moment that you need it. And uh, so I am so grateful, Stephanie, that you have joined us today. Uh, Stephanie has experienced beauty from ashes and she has started a ministry. She's an author. She comes alongside of, uh, as she says, brides, hundreds of brides to help them navigate marriage and also especially when marriage falls apart. So Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Just welcome uh, for taking time out of your life. I know that there are many who are pulling at you. They need you. And there are people who are listening today that need you and they need your story. So thank you. Stephanie, why don't we just jump right in and tell us a little bit about your story? Well,
1: our story, my story uh, starts 12 years ago. When my betrayal story started 12 years ago, when my husband came home with a blindside confession. At that point, we had been married for seven years. We had two kids. Our oldest was four and a half, and our youngest had just turned one. And so, you know, in, the, in that space, we look back and I think, oh, the seven year itch, right? Like you talk about it, but <laughs> it's not really a real thing until it is. And That seven years, I was struggling with postpartum depression, but our marriage itself, I viewed as something whole, something healthy. Uh, It was secure. Of course, there's things that you always want to fix or work on, but never, never once did I think that betrayal was going to define our marriage until it did, and so at that time. My husband confessed to a 10-year pornography addiction, which had led to multiple affairs. There was no emotion involved. This truly was his addiction that just ramped up to the next level. And that so often is the case. It's never just one thing. It's, you know, something and then you get bored with it. So you go to the next thing. And that's where the, the one-night stands um, came into play. And so he came home. At five o'clock, he set up confession really well. Uh, he had somebody arranged to pick up our kids, so it was just the two of us in the home. And that gut feeling that women get, that, that intuition that we, that we sense, the moment he stepped inside the home, I knew something was wrong. And he asked me to sit down on the couch, and he just shared everything with me. And uh, you know, I didn't yell at him, Sharon. I didn't. I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, honestly, I wanted to just, you know, right hook him in the face, <laughs> but there was no physical anger towards him. And I think that was the Holy spirit restraining me from, from physically harming him. And what I was left with is just a, a deep sense of brokenness. And so that obviously continued. He confessed that took maybe 10 minutes until I left the home. And I went to church and from there, things just kind of fell into place. I met with a a friend. Um, She's been my life coach for the past 12 years, turned into a sister friend. I met with my girlfriend. We organized a meeting with my pastor that evening. And that's when he said, uh, you need space. At that point, we had not, I told him just to stay in the basement and our pastor really stressed that you need physical space, you need emotional space. And when you don't plan a betrayal, I mean, nobody goes into marriage saying, oh, tell death do his part and tell you cheat on me. And then I've got plan B. We don't plan for that. So there's no, there's no how-to-do betrayal book for any bride. I wish there was, but there's not. And so. What I did worked for me and what others do, it, that's their story. That's their journey. But for me, I realized and I embraced the fact that I do need space, physical, emotional, spiritual. I, I need you to be out of my, my bubble so I could process what just happened. And So we did. We separated that evening.
0: And how long was that separation?
1: We separated for 10 days. There was not much communication in those 10 days. It was a really awkward, clunky uh, 10 days of wanting to talk about things. And yet his physical appearance making me physically ill. Just having him trying to pursue that conversation uh, just repulsed every bit of me. And that's grief. And that's our pastor told me that the very first night is, Steph, you need to grieve over the death of your marriage. And for me at that point, I had done a lot of grieving of, you know, loved ones who had passed away, but never grieved anything that was still living. And there's a difference because the one you're grieving something that's, that's dead. Like our marriage died that night. Our marriage died years prior through all the, the, you know, the addiction and the, the affairs, but that night I had been made aware of the death of our marriage Even though he was still physically there, I had to grieve my hopes, the dreams, our marriage goals, what I thought our marriage was and could be. I had to grieve all of that. And that put me into a state of tears for weeks, months on end. Just a really dark place.
0: How did you handle your children at that time? Because clearly they would know something's up. Daddy's not here and mommy's crying. Yes, uh,
1: that's challenging. You know, the blessing, hindsight. The blessing is that they were young, so our one-year-old didn't know anything. But our oldest, you know, she would say, "Mommy, why are you so sad? Why are you crying?" And I just had a simple response every time: "Mommy's just really sad for a friend. Mommy has a friend that's sick, and it makes me really sad." Because at that point, I didn't know all of the healing that had already happened in my husband's life. So in my mind. I viewed his addiction as an illness. And so I wasn't really lying to our kids. (laughs) I was just explaining it in a very safe way that was age appropriate. And then we did have an arrangement where my husband would come every night and we would just pass cars in the driveway and he would put the kids to bed. So they still saw him, um,
0: just never together in in the same home for 10 days. Did somebody help you figure that out? You know, like I I would not have thought about that part of, you know, passing in the driveway, but still giving him the opportunity to be with the children and the children with him. Or did you just figure that out? That was something that I had asked
1: him to agree on. He knew my stance on this. As a hairstylist, I heard a lot of different stories Mm. of women in in my salon chair. And he knew there's no second chances with Steph. She's not going to give me a second chance. So before I left the home to, um, to go to our church that, that evening, right after he had confessed, he said, I will respect whatever decision you need to make. And I think he very much expected me to pursue a divorce. I think I surprised him quite a bit by just the, the, the time, the space, the grace that I offered him. And I can only define that by the Holy spirit. That is only God that did that in me. Cause that was my approach is if you step out of this marriage. If you cheat on me, if there's any sort of like, this is a firm, no, and there are no second chances. And God quickly shifted some of my perspective in that time of separation with us. So when I asked him to leave, um, it was actually our pastor that went to our home And asked my husband to pack his bags, and he said, "Steph, we'll email you with some more directions and instructions during this time of separation." And that's when I did. I just emailed him. This is my request: is that you show up
0: every night to put the kids to bed, and I will be ready in the driveway. What a gift to be in a church where the pastor was ready and equipped to help you uh, walk through this, and that you had connections there. And it just reminds me again of the importance of community and at the church family, before the crisis hits, make sure that you are developing relationships within a church family. You could be the one that walks alongside a broken person, but you're going to experience brokenness at some point. And I know for us, when our 16-year-old son Mark and his friend Kelly were in a, a fatal car accident, the church rushed to the wound and the hemorrhaging, and we would not have survived without God giving those people to us. And so I love that part of your story that you weren't by yourself, but that leads me to the question of, did you tell everybody or did you protect your privacy? How how did that work? Well, I don't
1: think anybody wants to just broadcast their mess to everybody in town. We live in a small town and it's a very pretty town. We don't like to show any sort of mess or dysfunction within our home walls. And that was me. I was so embarrassed. I couldn't even dial the phone to call my mom. My girlfriend had to call her for me because I was so embarrassed to just express failure to her. Right. And so we, we did, we kept it very private. Our parents, both sets of parents knew, our siblings knew, but that was the extent of the family that we brought into our our journey. We can't control what people say to other people, but we can't control our circles. And so yeah. just our immediate family knew, and then the, the very few church staff. Other than that, it was a very, very small circle, a trusted circle of people that knew the true story. For, for one reason we chose, I chose healing right away. And by choosing healing, by choosing to restore If we were to have broadcasted it to every, you know, put a Facebook post, hey, this is what happened today. You now invite all of those different opinions. You invite all of those emotions from other people because betrayal is never just between two people. Betrayal is family. My dad experienced a hard time accepting this because someone just broke his baby's heart. My brother, my sister, my sister, it took her six months to finally write my husband a I forgive you letter. So betrayal is never two people. And that's why we chose to keep it so tight and so small, because we wanted those around us, those people that were circling around us, supporting, encouraging, and praying for us. We wanted them to support our decision
0: to heal, regardless of what they they thought we should do. Yeah, I love that because they also would be there to remind you when you're ready to pull the plug remember the commitment you've made to healing you knew it wasn't going to be easy you knew it was going to be torturous but you have made that commitment i can imagine that that would be you know like somebody reminding you of your faith when you want to throw in the towel and say you know god where are you somebody kindly gently coming alongside of you and reminding you this is not this is not the pathway you're on so great wisdom i think there's great wisdom in that um, and it uh, i love you're saying about, you're not going to invite everybody else's opinions to, but you know, I would never stay with him. You're crazy. That kind of thing. You didn't need to hear those kinds of things. Well, when your husband confessed, obviously he had worked through all this in his own heart. And so he's ready for whatever is next, I would think, but was he willing to open up everything to you? Was he willing to set up boundaries? You know, was he, did he say, whatever you need to know, I'll tell you whatever you want me to do, I'm happy to do it. Or did he push back?
1: You know, I could maybe count on one hand, the amount of times that he had pushed back. And that only lasted for a few seconds. Uh, he was very transparent in sharing anything I wanted. The very first time I experienced pushback was actually the next day after his confession, when we met with our pastor in his office and I had typed out a letter that I read to Tim and afterwards I said you know if I'm if I'm going to pursue restoration if I'm going to pursue forgiveness I need to know what I'm forgiving I know I know there was the addiction I know there was the affairs but I need to know the details and not every bride can handle the details I experienced a confession I did not experience a discovery where Some brides will discover, you know, text messages, hundreds of text messages filled with, you know, um, graphic images. I didn't have to walk through that form of betrayal, but it can be compared to the amount of information I requested. (laughs) And Mm. every time I would ask for details, I was, I was given an answer the the number one thing that we that we established right away was transparency and honesty if we're going to pursue this we need absolute 100% transparency but that's also met with accountability because you can't be like oh i'm really struggling and then leave it there you need to have people that come alongside you and say oh i see that you're having a week a weak moment um you're tired you're fatigued work is stressful right now things are changing in the family finances whatever it may be the additional stress that is the trigger for you therefore we need to be transparent and open about letting other people know our trusted circle know that hey this this time in my life right now is really hard i need you to come around me and to hold me accountable to ask me how are your eyes how is your mind you know have you been struggling lately and we establish that right off the bat And not just for my husband, but I needed it as well. I needed my my people, my go-to people to come around me and to say, you know, your attitude lately has been really crummy. You have every right to feel crummy, but you forgave him. Therefore, you release the bitterness. You release that resentment. So let's bring it back and ask why was there a trigger? Did you not get enough sleep? Are you depressed? What is it? Are you in the word of God? Are you seeking God's opinion before man's? And so that when we did that, whenever I asked a hard question, it was never really met with a, a defiant body posture. It was, okay, this is going to be really hard and awkward, but I know
0: you need it in order to heal. And that was our approach. Well, we have, my husband was a pastor for almost 50 years. And so we have been in those broken places with a number of couples and truly the ones that more than survive that rebuild their marriage are the ones where the husband, we're speaking of wives and husbands. So I'm going to stick with that. The husband uh, who has been the betrayer is totally open does not resent anything his wife needs. He, I mean, he might try to talk her out of it that I don't want to hurt you with this, but he will give her whatever she needs. I mean, even to the point of selling the car where he used to drive the girl around or getting a new house because he brought the girl to the house or something like that. Those are extreme, but no question. If this is what you need, it's what I'm going to do. And I think that's a huge sign of repentance because it's the putting off but it's then the putting on and you raise another, again, I can't uh, emphasize it enough is community is having people around you who are, like you said, they're going to say, I don't blame you for feeling this way. However, and and how hard it must've been for them at times, because they probably wanted to join your party (laughs) and say, I don't blame you. Let's get them. So that would be, to me would be, a sign of repentance of genuine repentance when there's that kind of openness. And also, I think another part of it is you probably, I mean, you think about, I lived with lies for so long. I did not have a clue. How do I know when he's telling the truth now? So how did you deal with that?
1: You know what, One of the things that I, I have in my journals is this quote that says silence is easier and less messy, but it's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And When I was faced with the trigger, I could have just retreated to myself. I could have just been like, nope, I'm going to process this on my own. He doesn't need to know because he's doing good. But inside, I'm a hot mess. My emotions are all over. I'm falling into a depression. You know, in those moments, the enemy is so quick to attach to our soul. He's so quick to plant that seed of doubt and so anytime I was met with a trigger, the very first thing I would do is like, God, what is this? Is this me? Is this real? Like, give me direction. Help me navigate this, this, this trigger in my life. And then I would invite people in. Again, community. I would, I would text, email, call my husband and say, you know what? I'm running into this issue today. Is this something to be worried about? Um, is this just my healing? Is this just part of my journey? he would pray with me. He would shoot me scriptures. He would reassure me. And again, so many times, the the only thing he would say to me is, I am so sorry I did this to you. You know, the third thing I would do is, you know, call my go-to people and I would just tell them, I'm having a really bad day. Will you please just pray for me? It breaks my heart to hear women who are going through this journey, whether it's just a, a pornography addiction that they you know, discovered, or if it's a, you know, emotional or physical affair, it breaks my heart to hear how lonely they are. Because the moment you invite somebody in, you've partnered. Now you have a partner against the enemy that immediately wants to attack you. And those dark places, those moments where you drive by a coffee stand, knowing that's where the communication started, so often we're, we're just starting, we're kicking off some fall groups. And one of them is a Zoom group for pastoral staff, brides who've been married to a church staff member that has betrayed them. And so sometimes even going to church, the place where you should find safety and fellowship is the place that triggers you the most. And so they retreat, they stay at home. They don't enter into that fellowship with other believers. That breaks my heart. You need people. We absolutely need people going through this journey. And whether it's accountability partners, mentors, friends, family, counselors, I mean, we surrounded ourselves with the accountability partners and counseling. Where did you go for counseling? Uh, we went to church, who then uh, gave us the recommendations as to who we needed to talk to. We have a very unique story, both of us. And I, the, the one thing that we really tried to do is that I have my story and my husband has his and we Mm -hmm. didn't want to have crossovers. I didn't want to share for him. And so for my story, uh, I had daily accountability with my, my mentors and my, my coaches. I did go to counseling. I started that about four to six weeks after confession. And I was shocked. Mm -hmm. I was absolutely shocked. I went into there thinking, we're going to talk all about the infidelity in our marriage. And I realized that I had I had some blind spots Mm. that I needed to to work through and to process. And so because of the work that I did as an individual, it made me as a wife be able to offer something even better to my husband in our second marriage.
0: Well, I I love that. The second marriage um, after the death of the first one. But you raise a point where I've seen women bristle when there's any kind of suggestion that there might be some things in her life that need to be addressed? Because it seems like she's letting him off the hook that, oh, you did this because I did that. No, I know that isn't true. I'm not taking that responsibility. So how do you talk to a woman who feels that way and, and genuinely feels like I, I'm not doing him any favors by saying I did something wrong? Well, I think it, it boils down to boundaries
1: Prior to confession, I was a codependent. I hated conflict. I didn't want to have enemies. I don't want to have to discuss hard things. So if I can just make the peace with everybody, then my life will be so much better. And that's quite the opposite of, of reality. And I, through my counseling, through my coaching, I realized that I need to have a voice. Prior, if if there was something that needed a, a dual decision in our marriage, I would just refrain. And I would just fall back to like, he's the leader of the family. I'll let him have the final say, but I would never even state my opinion. I would never even state my perspective as a bride, as a mom. And I, I think for these women who are going through this and they struggle to hear their part in this betrayal equation, this is what I have to say to them. The betrayal, it happened to you, but it wasn't, it wasn't because of you it's kind of like that whole 1%, 100% equation, right? The, the 100% problem in our marriage was infidelity. Sin had entered. It had completely taken over my husband's heart and mind and the, the enemy just ran with it. It wasn't because of me. It wasn't because I wasn't offering my husband's love language enough. It wasn't because we didn't have enough sex or intimacy within our marriage and intimacy, not just sex, right? Intimacy being holding. That. The physical intimacy, the spiritual intimacy, the emotional, that the time spent together. It wasn't because there was a lack of that, but there was a 1% of the problem that I needed to own a hundred percent of the time. And you're right, that's where women do get hung up on. And I actually just, I was just talking with an individual that said, You're blame shifting. I'm like, no, I'm not blame shifting. I'm not taking the blame for my husband's sin, but I am owning what the part in our marriage that I needed to own. There there was something that that I was responsible for and I need to take ownership of that.
0: Well, I think also it's almost as though what you're saying is whether there was betrayal or not, these were things in your life that the Lord wanted to address for you to give you freedom, to be able to speak up and to understand your, your position as belonging to him and the identity you have as his. Well, we've talked a little bit about care, taking care of yourself, and I'd like for you to to address that. And then let's talk about the ministry uh, that you have started, the book that you've written and the ministry. You have piqued my interest with the group for ministry wives who are experiencing this. I love it that you're doing this. So I know we want to hear more about it. And the other thing is, I like to say in our conversations that we're offering salty peanuts. We can't possibly... Dig up everything about what you have experienced and what you offer. But I'm hoping that you, the listener, will feel like you're eating salty peanuts and you've got to have more. Or maybe it's potato chips for you. I don't know. Whatever it is, you can't not eat uh, once you have one. I hope you feel that way about this conversation because there is so much more that Stephanie has to offer. And it's through her book, which is amazing. It's a 30 day devotional, but it's so packed. and then reclaimed, which I don't know of many other ministries like that out there. So I want to hear about that. But first, tell us a little bit about how a woman in this place can take care of herself, and especially if her husband is not repentant or is not cooperative in rebuilding their marriage. You know,
1: those those first few weeks were such a blur after Mm -hmm. confession. I didn't eat for 10 days and that's okay. If you just discovered something, if you just stumbled across an email or a text message, or, you know, you were, your husband just confessed to you. And let's just for the record, say, this is not just a husband issue. This is very much equal. Wives commit adultery. Wives stumble into betrayal just as much as men do. And so it's never just the, the one, but for the bride, because that's my heart, that's my passion. It's okay. If you don't eat, it's okay. If you don't sleep, it's okay. If you can't even make it to the shower because you're so fatigued and burdened and grieved over your marriage that you can't even get up off the couch. That's okay. I didn't eat for 10 days. My mom tried to force even Gatorade in me and it just made me sick. But slowly, I was able to take in water. Slowly, I was able to take care of myself, take care of our children, and actually get up and want to be awake for the day and to accomplish something for the day. So baby steps, take it one minute. Take it one one second at a time if that's how little you can handle and process in this very moment. I talk about in the 30-day devotion, which I I will say this too. It's a 30-day personal journey. Some brides, it takes weeks, not just 30 days. It takes months to process. So yes, there's, there's days, but you, you, you go through the days as long as it takes you. But I talk about my three essentials, and those have remained to the present day here. And the first one is to brush the fur off my teeth. Whether you're walking through betrayal or not, that should be something you do daily. Uh, The second one is to put a little pit stick on. Nobody likes to be stinky. You just feel better about it. And the third one was to put a bra on. Uh, Simple things, right? Simple uh, tasks where I would wake up in the morning and be like, I need to get these three things done. And those first few months, if I got those three things done, it was a good day. And slowly those essentials started to change and I could build upon those because God was healing me from the inside out. But from the very beginning, I kept my expectations very, very limited. Now, like I said, we're 12 years out. And so my essentials look different. But for that bride, I, I, I would love to just tell her that first off again, the betrayal, it happened to you, not because of you. And just because you're walking through infidelity does not mean that that has has stolen, that has robbed you of your value in Jesus Christ. You still remain a child of God. You still are enough for him. You still have purpose in this world. You still are a good person. Nothing can take that away from you. And if you're sitting in a pile of tears or if you're sitting by your spouse working through a restored, renewed marriage, that still remains the same. When I could embrace those things, my day was better. Didn't matter if you know I was fighting through triggers or fighting through emotions or just struggling because, again, we don't, it's never just one thing, right? It's never just betrayal. There's going to be hard days because of work. There's going to be hard days because of parenting. A couple years prior to confession, my sister and my dad were diagnosed with cancer. So I was dealing with that struggle on top of the marriage struggle, on top of changing careers and all the things, right? And so it's never just one thing that we have to process, which makes it all the more important to be in the word of God. I dove into Psalm 77. That was my lifeline to God. It's underlined. It's highlighted. It's circled all the things, because that was my spiritual nutrition that I needed to get through the day. And so if you can't do anything, the very first thing you should at least try to do is just open the word of God. Even if you can't read, just put your palms
0: out and just say, God, I I have no words. He's still going to hear your thoughts. He's still going to hear your, your prayers. Amen. Thank you for that. And I resonate with all of that because whether it's grief over betrayal or grief over the loss of a child or any deep grief, everything you're saying, oh my goodness, is so true. Brush your teeth and get into the word. Absolutely. Well, I just hate uh, letting you go, but I know that I'm sure you're very busy, but I would love for you to tell us about Reclaimed and how women can get in touch with you. Yes.
1: So the easiest spot is just to go to reclaimedministry.com. From there, we've got links to our Amazon accounts where you can purchase the books, the small group guides, the 30-day journey. You can also find our social media links. You can go to our shop. This is something that's new over the past year, but you can purchase some gifts and all of the proceeds go back to brides, back to blessing those brides who need assistance, scholarships for counseling. Maybe it's just an everyday fund. They, they have no gas money. They've run out of food money. And we can bless them with a little bit of encouragement. And so all the proceeds go back to those brides. We do have something super special. It's on Facebook. It's the Reclaimed Ministry Community. And this is a community of a little over a 1,000 women who all share a similar betrayal story. No betrayal looks or is defined the same way. But our pain is very much the same. And so in this community, we have private discussions, comments, threads, posts, all those things. It's a safe place to express a concern, and you're met with support and encouragement and prayer. And it has been absolutely humbling and the most beautiful thing to see broken people come alongside other broken people and to encourage and to step into that pain. Every single day. Mm -hmm. And within this community, we are doing, uh, we're offering up private Zoom groups. One of them that we're starting up this fall is for brides who have been married to church staff. Another private group is for law enforcement brides, those who have been married to first responders, correctional officers, law enforcement. We also have past videos where we've gone through all 30 days together. And so there's a lot of information, a lot of content and resources provided in this private community. So you can check that out. Otherwise, again, go to the website, go to our social media links, and you'll find everything
0: there. Thank you, Stephanie, so much. Again, I don't know of another ministry that is like this. And um, I just hope that the word gets passed along. And so that's what I would say to you, listener, to make sure. If you have been blessed by this conversation and there's no way that you haven't been, share it. Share it with your friends on social media, wherever you have a voice. Make sure that you share this and go to markinc.org where you can find more stories like this. Each one offers help and hope, especially in some of the darkest places. Everything is free. Make sure that you check that out. You can subscribe to the Help and Hope podcast and we have other ministry platforms, uh, the Daily Treasure podcast, which is a daily devotional that I write. You can subscribe there as well. There are women sitting in the pews of our churches who are there alone, they're ashamed, they're embarrassed. They have no one and they need to see this on maybe your media, your social media page, wherever that you can share the word and pass it along. Somebody is gonna be touched by it. So again, I'm Sharon Betters, go to markinc.org where we will have all these links in the program notes, and you will also find loads and loads of free resources designed to help turn your heart toward Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to this Help & Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help & Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.